Hey everybody, Jordan here, the PH is silent, and in this episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show, we talk about creating encounters and motivation for your players, as well as we talk about kids on bikes some more and Halloween adventures. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan, with a silent PH in the middle. Yes, it's weird. And I am joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, over there at Sir Lucian Gaming. Say hello, sir. And I'm Sir Lucian with a loud EI in the middle. Yeah, it's it's I, I, the reverse I, I, of, we're trying to do the opposite of each other, because we're like, yin and yang, op, you know, things like that. So, like, yeah. Like Dark Side, Star Wars. Yep, yep, proud. yep. As made apparent by my white jacket and your dark shirt and just the general lighting of your thing, we are light side, dark side. It's it's crazy <laughs> like that. Um, this is the Saturday morning D&D show where we talk about uh, role-playing games. It started out, we talked a lot about D&D and we still do, but now we've kind of like branched out and we're, we're playing a lot of different games lately. And so we talk about tabletop role-playing games and just the Dungeons and Dragons scene in general because it is uh, popular and fun to talk about. Uh, today's show, I didn't even look at our show notes, so I don't know what we're talking about today. <laughs> I'm going to take a guess. It's going to be D&D, um, and it's going to be game-related in some way. And I bet somehow Halloween pops into it in some oh, way. Oh, yeah, Halloween's coming up. Yeah, so we were just talking before the show started that we need to do something on Halloween. Um, maybe I could try and run a dungeon crawl classics game with you and some friends or we can figure or we run like a, a silly little D halloween themed game or something because I, I wrote one for and i'll get into this when i talk about my game but i wrote uh um i i not so much wrote a game as i made like some halloween themed encounters for my uh hot springs island group because they wanted to battle some like undead and things like that i think the cleric really wants to to use his channel divinity um, and he hasn't really been able to to use it against undead because surprise, there's not a lot of undead on the island of Hot Springs Island. So, oh, yeah. um, so he's like, "Well, can we fight some zombies or something for Halloween?" And I was like, "Sure, uh, we should definitely fight some zombies or something for Halloween." So I made a bunch of like Halloween encounters uh, because that's always fun, and it always feels like like Halloween starts the the tradition, or not tradition, but like the theme of themed games. Like it's always like Halloween hits and you're like, we're going to make a, a Halloween D&D game. And then Thanksgiving, you're just like, you're going to battle a giant undead turkey. It's going to be amazing. And then Christmas is around and like Krampus is stealing presents from children and it's up to your adventurers to stop him. Uh, and it always feels like the, the holiday games start with Halloween. Yeah. And what's funny is that... Um... It starts probably when people start putting up the Halloween decorations. So it's always a couple <laughs> weeks before Halloween or right before. But then it's that whole kind of getting in the mood of all these different things. And it's it's most likely probably because you're, what are you? You're about to, you're October. So you're either 10th month in. So your campaign's been running probably pretty normal. And you're, as a DM, I bet you're ready to spice things up or to throw something creative in just to, to get past any stagnation you might be feeling of, oh, you know, we've been playing this for a while. It's kind of the, the storyline is nice and heavy and deep and everything's good, but sometimes you just need that break to, to kind of reset things and get it, get the excitement going again. I feel like that's probably something that creeps in a little bit. And I just think we all get in that mood of, of fun and delightful 
you know, putting costumes on or thinking about Halloween yeah. or even just thinking about our childhood again. We, we talked about it in a couple of shows before where it was just like, this is an energizing time because it reminds you of your teenage and preteen years of just going out and having fun in a spooky night and getting candy, almost like going on an adventure, mm -hmm. having a quest and then fulfilling it and, you know, braving the night, braving the, the scariness of the, uh, of the, teenagers that are older than you or the your fear of the dark or your fear of open space whatever your fear might be <laughs> you, <laughs> you overcame it so it's really kind of our first time that we do an adventure like that because we don't have parents around most of the time like i didn't i mean i know there are probably lots of kids that had their parents every step of the way but i we weren't our parents shoved us out the door and said go have fun make right it back. yeah did you have do you live in a small town growing up Nope, Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, wow, okay. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I lived in a really small town, and that was just the norm, was like, get out of my house, kids. Like, it's Halloween. I don't want to see you. And so yeah. we would just, like, run around in the middle of the night. It was fun. They're like, yeah. be home by 11. I think we had a pretty safe suburb, though. Yeah. So it was, like, one of those things where it's just everybody knew everybody. Uh, not D&D related, but I actively remember I just moved to uh, Idaho when I was a kid, and I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any friends, but I loved Halloween. So I'm like, I'm going to go trick-or-treating. And uh, went trick-or-treating and ran into a bunch of kids that were egging houses. And they, oh, yeah. like, took off running. And I remember I was, like, petrified because this guy came up in a huge truck because uh, his house had just got egged. And he was chasing these kids. And he comes to a screeching halt. And he's just like, were you the one egging my house? And I'm like, no, no, sir. I'm just, uh, I just moved here. And like, I was just freaking out. Like, I'm like, he's going to beat the crap out of me. This like yeah. 50 year old man in his big truck. Um, Cause he was that upset. But yeah, that's, that's the other side of Halloween, I guess, is like the trickster kids running around with eggs and what have you toilet paper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it is funny. Cause it's just like, um, those are the things that stick in our memories, probably the strongest from our childhood is those. And it was with friends. So you're, you're almost like in your own adventuring group in a way, and you're just getting into these games for a lot of people got into it when they were teenagers and, and just moving on. So it's kind of, you know, you start playing, doing all your game stuff. So it's like a, a, a real life analogy almost happens to you of the game stuff that you love to do. So it just, I love it. So that's why I like it. But, you know, having themes and stuff, it's a good theme, right? Because it's all spooky. It's all, yeah. you can go any direction with it, really. And uh, that's kind of what they did with some of the D&D &D stuff. If you looked at some of the videos over on D&D &D Beyond or um, Dungeons and Dragons, the, the website, they were talking about like lore you should know and stuff like that was all about the, um, the the realms of dread or monsters you can use in Halloween or good Halloween themed monsters yeah. that you can use. I know Jeremy Crawford loves using the the witches and the hags, you know, which are really good Halloween themed those kinds of things, especially stealing kids and you have to go and you know save the village children and all that kind of stuff. So it was pretty good. So if you want to check out some really good videos, if you're looking for inspiration. Um, you can go check those out because they do talk about um, the realms of dread, which I thought was pretty cool. It's like domains of culture. Dread. Domains of dread. Yep. <clears throat> it was like the pop culture references for when they did Ravenloft and they wanted to make sure that Ravenloft was an actual setting, not just um, Barovia itself. There was more to it. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were talking about how there's one for the mummy. There's one for like a Frankenstein monster. There's one for a werewolf kind of thing. And there are all these little things that are, you can put in your world anywhere because the mists kind of keep them, you know, contained and they mm -hmm. can't get in or out, but you might get trapped every now and then for a night 
before you can get out. And those are all good adventures. So if you're looking for some inspiration on that kind of stuff, um, it started back in, I think it was, he said, uh, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, but I'm sure you can find versions of it throughout all the versions, no matter what version you're playing. So I thought those are pretty cool to see all that. And I think everybody's getting, you know, prep for that. All these uh, costume parties are happening. There's lots of conventions still going on right now. So we're seeing a lot of the the D&D crews out doing live games and presenting at the different, like, I think... Uh, there was TwitchCon was going on, and I think um, maybe PAX Australia is going yep. on, and I think there's some other stuff going on. So that's all, you know, that's all happening right now too. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I don't know much about TwitchCon other than my Twitter has just blown up with everyone at TwitchCon, and I'm like, oh, I guess this is like a really big thing. So that's really cool. Um, yeah. One of the I did I didn't watch the Domains of Dread video. I probably should have, but I did watch the Halloween Monsters video that Chris Perkins was talking about. All of the different like here are some monsters, and there are some obvious ones like you werewolves. You can use a werewolf. You kind of reskin monsters to make them work sometimes. Like uh, uh, Flesh Golem can be a Frankenstein's monster, etc. But the one that I thought was interesting is he said the Drow. He's like not a lot of people think about this, but like the Drow make really good Halloween things. But then he kind of trailed off from there. And I was gonna ask you like, do, do the Drow make a good Halloween monster? Because I'm just kind of like, well, you could reskin goblins to be, you know, evil little mischievous things. Or I don't know. I was like, what? I guess like low level vampires could be Drow. Like I don't know. But I was really, that yeah. was the one where I'm just like, I think you're pulling at some far reaching threads here, uh, Chris Perkins. <laughs> yeah, that or just the the reference to them that being the whole spider motif. So, mm. you know, driders and stuff. And yeah, the, and definitely the a drider, I guess, could make a great Halloween yeah. costume. Maybe or costume that's for the route. Character. Other than that, yeah, it's like an, it's an elven figure that's darker. So Halloween wise, yeah, I you know goth teenagers, I guess could be <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> so you're out trick or treating, and you run into a whole herd of drow, and they're just a bunch of goth kids that are just too cool for Halloween, but they're still out on Halloween because it's like yeah. it's the most sacred of goth holidays. So <laughs> that would be yeah, awesome. Drow are the kids at egg houses, that's for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> that's from chat. That's awesome. <laughs> So yeah, I can see that. So, and I think it is pretty fun to uh, take a look at those. And it's, it's something I've been doing in the big campaign that I've been running, but it's going back and finding these old versions of stuff that you can find out there on drive through RPG or DMs guild or, or wherever you go to get your, you know, your reprinted stuff and to find these old adventures and, and different things that they had and, and make them work in like the campaigns you're running now or one shots or one offs or short campaigns are just really fun. Cause there was a ton of creativity from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. It doesn't mean everything was good and that everything you should go back and grab, but you'll find little little Easter eggs, little nuggets of things that you'll go, oh, that was really good. I want to try that in my game to see if my players would have some fun doing that. So it's a good creative time to just kind of go back and, and see what you can do to mix up your campaign a little bit. I think a lot of people are doing that this month. Yeah, 100%. 100%. The only other big thing I kind of noticed was I talked, I watched probably more interest to me and maybe the viewers who are interested in large mega campaigns. I noticed they did a interview with Robert Wardha, who is a Canadian uh, DM who's been running the same campaign for 36 years straight. Wait, wait, do that again. Um, Say that one more time. Yeah. Has been running the same campaign 36 years straight. <laughs> what? 
you are such a good actor. You should be like in plays. Or, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> short films here and there. Yeah, you should do good. So. Yeah, you'd be really great. No, but and it was interesting to me because we've been talking about big campaigns, but long running campaigns. We're just kind of getting into some of those. But when I started thinking about what would it have been like for 36, that's nearly more than I've been alive. Not necessarily quite. I that just much, turned but, 36. Yeah. So there you <laughs> yeah. go. Yeah. So that's nearly. And um, it was interesting because if you go back and you watch that, he talks a lot about it. Started back in 1982 with his friends and people fly in now because it's such a big campaign and they play their characters and you know, they're coming from all over the country and the world to play in this game. Um, no breaks longer than three weeks. I'm just giving you some of the highlights from this thing. Mostly two sessions a week that he runs. Uh, same storyline, but the story covers maybe five or six hundred years in game. So their character, some of their characters have grown old and retired, and they they've created new characters and gone on from there. Um, he has some really interesting ways to, to handle that big time lapse and the way characters are moving in and out. And then the biggest thing about it, though, was is that he said when they asked him, do, how much do you prep for a game like that that's been running for 36 years? He's at the point now where he's a no-prep improv DM at this point. Though he has a big storyline that's running through the whole thing, um, he's still, before a session's happening, is just playing. And it's not just uh, online playing. It's like he has every type of miniature you can think of. He has all the Forge World sets. He has all like houses and villages and castles and things he can set on the um, table and people can play through. So it's like a full on hobbyist that's, you know, taking it seriously yeah. for a long time. Lots of homebrew rules because he likes to play a fast game. He likes to play a tactical game. He likes to keep things moving. It's not necessarily 5e, which was the other thing I noticed is it was a, it's a hybrid of, of original D and D but souped up a little bit. So it's definitely interesting. And I think if you're somebody who's been running a long campaign or thinking about running a long campaign um, or even a mega campaign where you're having lots of players come in and out, it's something you could take a look at and maybe glean some information from and see if it's something that you're into. If you're just looking for other people that are trying to attempt to do the same thing you're doing, just like if you're coming here to watch the videos and for me to talk about the, the mega campaign I'm running, which I'm having to deal with figuring out how to get players to come in and out, keeping timelines straight, getting people organized, getting things scheduled, creating all the stuff, like all the online maps and the storylines and placing all that stuff in. So there's a lot I'm doing too. And maybe any of that will help you if, you, if you're one of those types of people that are looking to, to run a really big campaign. Yeah, that sounds, I mean, I can't even imagine running a game that long. And I'm assuming it's with not the same like people because uh, I didn't watch the interview or anything, but they had the, it sounds like he has multiple people that he's, he's running in this game, but it's still like a one world game that you've been 36 years, been crafting and creating and stuff. Have they updated additions? Like, did they start with, you know, AD and D and then work their way into other versions of D and D and just kind of kept the same story or is he still playing AD and D? Do you know? Yeah, I think he's still playing the old school homebrewed version of oh, okay. like AD&D kind of stuff. And um, without jumping, I don't think he he didn't mention like jumping to fourth or jumping to fifth. Yeah, maybe some of the stuff from third got got into the game, but it didn't sound like, you know, fourth or fifth did. Interesting. Yeah, so very interesting guy and a, a very interesting setup. They streamed their very first game ever and you can find that out on YouTube now. 
Um, I think it's the underscore game DM, I think is what it is. If that's not right, send me a message and I'll, I'll find the link again and send it over to you. Um, for anybody that's out there too, you can just get me on YouTube or Twitter or, uh, um, what we're on right now, Twitch. Somebody <laughs> said we had a glitch in Twitch. Yeah, we didn't notice anything on our side, um, but maybe something happened over at Twitch. And if it's TwitchCon, a lot could be happening over there. So, But we're back. Yeah, but hopefully we're back. <laughs> it didn't seem like we went anywhere. But uh, So those are the big things that I saw in the D&D news. Um, they're big charity events happening in November, the, the first week or so of November. So they're doing their extra life stuff, which is a lot of cool things you can get involved in. There was one that if I knew my wife wouldn't completely divorce me, I would have spent the money to get on um, Mike Merle's happy fun hour as a guest. You can get it for, I think it's like two grand or something for charity. And I was like, I was like, if I could get that past my wife without her knowing, I think I would have done that just so I could be on the Mike Merle's Happy Hour show. Or you could do one for the uh, Spoilers and Swag show, or you could do one for Greg Tito's show, I think was the other one. I thought, oh, that'd be super cool to get on those shows. That would be but fun. My wife would kill me for spending that much money. Yeah, so it's, a lot of, it's a lot of money. It's Though for a good for cause. Charity. Yeah, it's for charity. It's for a good cause, <laughs> but still, that's a lot of money. Uh, yeah. It reminds me of that... that uh, go play D and D in a castle that they were doing like last year or something. Yeah. Um, and that also would have been really cool, but yeah, it's like, that's just a lot of money. So <laughs> almost tried that one hard. I went, I talked to my wife about it. We looked at flights because I thought I would be able to talk her into going and then she could go do things in Europe while right. I was just gaming the whole time. Cause I didn't care. I just wanted to game the whole time with all those guys. And she could be out looking at castles and vineyards and, taverns and all the you know historical stuff that she <laughs> but again it was super expensive whoever went to those i'm glad they have a really good job <laughs> that was a lot of money to do that um and then like i i only bring this up because i backed this kickstarter but good men games who makes dcc dungeon crawl classics they made an expansion to it and it's called the dungeon crawl classics annual volume one. And I guess they've been working on this book for like the last four years. And now it's finally like, they're like, okay, we, we actually are starting the Kickstarter to get it. We have all the documents written, but it's just kind of an expansion to Dungeon Call Classics. So if you enjoy DCC, you can check that out and go, uh, yeah, go, go hang out with, uh, not hang out, but, um, you can go check out that link and, and, get it if you want. I, I pledged to it. So I'm really excited. It's already fulfilled. So it's going to be awesome. And it's like extra patrons and spells and things like that. Um, and then on top, like in the Dungeons, Dungeon Crawl Classics uh, news, my birthday was last week and my wife got me Mutant Crawl Classics, which is, uh, it's a standalone uh, game. But really, it's like a. I, I was reading online, and they were saying it it works better as a companion piece to Dungeon Crawl Classics more than a standalone game. Uh, but it's really cool, and I'm about I don't know maybe like three fourths away of the way reading through it right now, and uh, it's just really fun. There's all these like cool. Uh, because you can be a, a pure strain human or a mutant or a manimal or which is like a anthropomorphic yeah, animal. Um, or a plantient, which is like an anthropomorphic plant. But the 
the manimals and the plants and the mutants all have mutations and you roll randomly on this chart to see if you have weird mutations. And so you might have four arms, which gives you two actions per round instead of one. Um, and, and, or they might be hindrances like you lost an appendage and now you have to like, you lose like 20 feet of your movement because you only have one leg. Uh, so really cool stuff. And it fits with the theme of dungeon crawl classics where like you roll randomly for really good stuff to happen to you or really bad stuff to happen to you. Um, and it really makes me want to run a Mad Max style, uh, mutant crawl classics game. So we'll see if I can get that off the, oh, off the super... table somewhere. I want to do that so bad. It'd be really yeah. fun. But, I grab that book on the shelf like 20 times. Every time I go in the game store, I grab it. I look at it. I love looking at it. I love the art in it. I love reading just passages out of it. And then I put it back and I think, oh, I'll get it the next time. Then I come in, <laughs> I grab it again. I'll think, oh, I'll get it the next time. I'm going to get it one of these days. Uh, and then also for my birthday, I got uh, Creature Codex. So my parents were like, they surprised me with Creature Codex, which is weird because they don't know this hobby very well that I do. But I think uh, either the wife or my sister or somebody helped them out and they got me Creature Codex. So I was flipping through that last night and there's just lots of fun monsters in there. Um, I wasn't going to pick up that book because I decided I had enough monsters. But now that I have it, I'm really happy that I have it because there's just (laughs) really cool creative monsters in there. Um, So I'm excited for that. creature codex and what it can be um i think i don't know if you guys i don't know if you guys use kobold fight club uh which is a website to kind of create balanced encounters with dungeons and dragons fifth edition and they have tome of beasts in there but i don't know if they have creature codex in there yet um and so i'm waiting for them to update their things because i use that a lot when i'm creating encounters and then i can pick like i want i want an undead monster for this and I can filter by undead, and then it'll tell me the page numbers in the creature codex or the Tome of Beasts, what what monster is on what page number, and I can use it. But, yeah, I've just been, like, reading nonstop RPG books the past week, and it's and it's been glorious. So. Yeah, I love reading them. It just gets you so excited to play a game or run a game or yeah. find out people that are doing that game. because And it, all of them, like, I'll read – I was reading my um, Overlight – book again because i just gotten that one when we were down at gen con and then i was going back through tales from the loop because i was listening to your game which was the kids on bikes game which was super funny yeah thank my you. favorite part of the whole thing was the terry funk uh, <laughs> which was super funny um that whole thing was pretty good and it was fun to listen to how the group learned a new game with you at the same time like it felt like maybe some of them understood role-playing maybe some of them maybe didn't but they were feeling their way through it or feeling the way of making connections with each other and i haven't got through the entire thing yet but it was like it was really fun just to sit and watch and and listen to that because i love groups that are starting from scratch starting new kind of feeling things out and in that style of game which we talked about a lot last week was they get to kind of add into the storyline so it really brings them in and draws them in so i thought that was really cool and so all of that this week has been the same like i'm reading rpgs and i'm grabbing more stuff and i've got more kickstarters i'm in so more stuff will just be showing up who knows when in my mailbox i got the baby bestiary ones the two i got those two books finally and those are really cool because i want to do at some point a theme in one of my games where they find a young monster creature Mm -hmm. with the ability that they'll be able to raise it and it will be this cool idea that like they have a a pet manticore they have a pet you know something that you wouldn't normally have a pet of like a pet bullet could you imagine that 
I just yeah. so just as a as something to be unique to really set that campaign off differently from maybe any of the other campaigns that they played. Kind of similar to like Chris Perkins let their, uh, the Waffle Crew have a pet owl bear. And I always yeah. thought that was kind of cool because I think people would do that. People would try to domesticate things that you wouldn't normally think would domesticate. And probably most of the time it wouldn't work, but every now and then maybe <laughs> get it to work. And then imagine that, how cool would it be to have an owl bear fighting on your side in your battles and stuff. So I think that's kind of cool. So. But Very that cool. is the cool stuff. Remember that we're getting super close to release dates too, because yep. I think it's either not next week, but the week after or somewhere right around in there, we're going to see um, the Dungeon of the Mad Mage is going to be finally out. And I'm looking super, super forward to that. I'm going to find a game to play that I can be a, a character in that somewhere. And then uh, not too long after that, we're going to see the Guildmaster's guide to ravnica which is the other one that i will buy i'm gonna buy the dungeon of the mad mage i think for roll 20 so that way after i play it i play in a game i can go back and maybe be a dm for it and mm -hmm. run people through it so that one i'm gonna buy on the roll 20 i wonder how long it's gonna take to get through that because like you've got 15 levels but it's level 5 to 20 which yeah. is gonna take you a lot longer than going 1 to 15 so yeah. And I saw in there too, like I saw um, Nathan put out on his Twitter, like a spoiler, something about in level 16, it was talking about something that would also be on level 23 of the dungeon. So just imagine that in your head, 23 levels of dungeon delving. You know, I've just, yeah, that's mega dungeon extraordinaire right there. So I'm, I'm excited to see how that works out. And what's the modern version of that? We've seen the third edition versions of that, maybe the fourth editions if, if you were playing during that time. Maybe you've seen uh, Temple of Elemental Evil back in the days of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons and that kind of stuff, or any of the other ones that are out there, Tomb of Horrors and all these things are pretty big dungeons. But this seems to be a true multi-layered mega dungeon in the fifth edition modern age we'll see of D&D. It'll be interesting to see how they, they present it to us. Yeah, no, and uh, I'm really excited for that one. It's another where like, uh, some of my my Hot Springs Island players, one of them wants to run Waterdeep Dragon Heist, and he's really excited for it. So we're going to run that at some point whenever we find free time that we never have. Uh, but I, that will transition into Dungeon of the Mad Mage. So it's another one where I'm like, do I buy this book? Do I read through it? Because I don't want to spoil it for myself. But uh, so I don't know. We'll see. But I, I'm really excited for Dungeon of the Mad Mage because as a dungeon master, that's exactly what I wanted is a book that I can pick and choose rooms and situations and puzzles and put them in my own adventure. So I might not run the whole thing, but I can definitely like grab things. Uh, Tales of the Yawning Portal was the same way. Like I loved that I could just grab certain puzzles and traps from, from uh, Dead and Thay or Tomb of Horrors or something like that and put it into my own game. Uh, and this yeah. will be similar. So, yeah, I think it's going to be super fun. So, and that's it's like a loaded back end for our holiday season that's coming up as far as stuff you can do. Because, right, you could also, if you're doing Eberron, you could have bought the PDF at this point. You could be playing games in Eberron at this mm -hmm. moment, too, because they've got that out. So, all that stuff kind of has dropped in the last three months here just before we get to the end of the year. And then maybe pretty soon we'll start hearing some hints of what's going to be coming up for next year. Cause I mean, this year feels like it was spectacular as far as the amount of content they yeah. put out starting January one till now, 
Um, there were so many good things that I've done and bought with them. I'm happy on all the stuff. I can't think of a single purchase I made and thought, I wish I wouldn't have bought that. Like I've used all of the stuff I've played in it, used it in something else, read through it and enjoyed it, used a map from it or something, all of it. So I'm really excited to see what's next. I mean, we had, I mean, think of what we had this year, Mordecai's Tome of Foes. We've had Volo's Guide. We've had Xanathar's. You know, we've had several adventures from Storm King's Thunder to Tomb of Annihilation to uh, a redo of all the, like, the Yawning Portal and all those other uh, individual modules that you can do, like White Queen Mountain and, and those different ones. Um, and all that stuff is really good this year. And then, you know, Waterdeep Dragon Heist, Dungeon of the Mad Mage. It's just yeah. so good. So what is going to happen in 2019 is going to be just as exciting too. And I we usually, in the past, they've done like April, May release, right? So we should be hearing after Christmas some like rumors of yeah. whatever the April, May release would be. So I don't know. It's always fun to theory craft, but yeah. 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 Cause I think they were on like maybe a two, two or three book release kind of flow before this, but now it's like lots of books. I don't yeah. remember it being this many books before no it was maybe not. i'm wrong yeah they yeah. if you count wayfinder's guide to eberron they've released quite a few in the last like three months so yeah it's crazy but uh speaking of games what did you do in DD this week mr lucian well we had a slightly slower week we did do a game on our monday night game in our seeking revenor campaign our group uh is fighting at the top of a black pyramid but it's kind of like the um, the step type pyramid. So a lot of people would say like an Aztec type or a, a Mesoamerican kind of style pyramid. And they're, they've gone up to the top and they've realized that there's some things in there. The Norkers, if you ever heard of Norkers, which were these cool uh, advanced Dungeons and Dragons creatures that I don't think have been released in any of the 5e monster manual stuff or any of the monster books yet. Um, but they're really tough goblinoid in some ways um but tougher skin have two attacks uh can hit a little harder than them and they're just battling it out and one of the fun things i i wanted to point out about this game was that our group got really tactical they got really into how the map was they they created a shield wall at the inside a kind of a choke point because they were outnumbered quite a bit but because they were able to set their shield wall up and block and then most of their guys were doing like a dodge up on the front lines to make to give that disadvantage. And then they had a couple people in the back were doing, you know, throwing damage out over a barricade and then sneaking back down so they couldn't be shot. And I even tried to like outmaneuver them by like holding my action with the monsters to try to get some arrow shots off at these wizards and stuff that are popping up in the back and wreaking havoc on these this Norker uh combat that's going on and i was just rolling terribly and missing and it was just so good but what was interesting about it is if you watch the live version of it and it and we're going through rounds and we probably got through five rounds of combat while you're watching the thing actually happening it may feel kind of slow and i don't want to say boring but it's not as fun for somebody that's not actually in it right they're having fun because they're thinking about what they're going to do next they're thinking about where this is going to go they're freaking out because they think they're going to be overrun and that maybe they should be running so they're vested in it but if like you're a watcher and you're not in it sometimes i feel like it might be like watching golf or soccer or something like 
it, maybe those are super fun when you're doing them, but maybe not fun when you're not doing them, just watching them. But I know they have huge audiences. But the thing that struck me is that all week long, all of the players have been messaging me about the thought of them thinking back to Monday night, that battle. And they're like, in my head now, now that I put all the five rounds together and all the things that were happening, that story, if you go to tell somebody or if you were to draw it out or you were to animate it or you were to live action it or whatever, is epic. Like they were just like, this is the most epic battle ever. But yet you might not feel it right in that moment, but it's that memory later on that becomes that epicness. And they're going to remember and call back to it fighting at the top of a, of a temple, um, you know, shield to shield, arm to arm, waves of creatures crashing against their their shield and armor. Um, they're holding strong and they're killing them as they go. And then the creatures start to pull back. I mean, just the visual um, thought of that whole thing is what's driving them. And it made me realize that sometimes it probably happened to all of us that way, where when we remember Dungeons and Dragons back in the day, we probably remember it even better than it was, right? Because we even, it was the story and the action that we remember. We don't necessarily remember that, oh, I rolled five different times and I missed this roll and I was looking on my character sheet and I found this skill and then I did that thing. Those aren't the memories we have. What we have are these memories of us being that character almost. And like, oh, you know, our barbarian did this and had to run and jump up over a chair and then it slammed into a chandelier and then the chandelier crashed down on the guys. That's what they remember. It was like almost like the movie version of whatever it happened. And I think that's why we get into it so much is because our imagination takes the raw mechanics of the dice rolling and the pencil tracking and, you know, the things that are going on and then turns it into like a motion picture in our heads. And that's why we love it so much. And I just... I just love being able to tell people about those things. And, and that's why I think there's so many people that go up to other people and say, you got to hear about my character. You got to hear about this adventure we just had. It just was like this because us, it's almost like we live that moment when we think back on, like when I think back on Monday night, I think of Norkers crashing against the, uh, the characters. Yeah. I think I see reconnecting stream. might have just dropped. Yeah. I also <laughs> see that. So sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen, but if you're watching on YouTube, we are still recording so <laughs> still recording stream is disconnected attempt that's just uh twitch telling me i'm i'm running too long with my talking <laughs> so yeah Seems a little technical hiccup uh but we will get back oh i think it's back now hey guys i think we're back sweet I think the joke was for those of you that are just coming back in like YouTube, if you watch this on YouTube, Jordan's recording all of it. So it should all come through um, without the interruptions. For those of you that are hanging in there with us through the interruptions, I don't know if Twitch is having a big deal or not, but the joke was I was probably talking too long. So they were cutting me off. So <laughs> and uh, that was my big week. We didn't do too much. I left the rest open because we had a uh, family coming in for the end of this week. And I, Wears a bunch of stuff getting the house ready for having guests over because it's the brand new house that we've uh, just moved into. So there's a lot going on there, but we'll pick back up next week with lots of games and lots of fun. Um, and we'll see how Halloween goes. So I don't mm -hmm. know. Maybe we'll get something to happen. On that Halloween. would be really fun. Uh, we should get something happening. Even if I, okay, well, 
I guess I'll just dive into what I've been doing in Dungeons yeah, and Dragons if that's okay. <laughs> um, because it re- revolves into or it pushes into uh, maybe doing a Halloween game. But uh, so I did a Halloween game for my Hot Springs Island players, and uh, what I did is I kind of made like a, a town that they found, like a village within Hot Springs Island that was just odd and off. And then a bunch of locations that they could go to to experience different things. So they they ran into some werewolves. They they went to an old creepy house and they went into the basement and they found like a body. And it was basically like a Frankenstein's monster and that, that attacked them and stuff. So I've kind of been doing these little encounters. Uh, but I really pushed them to the limits because the barbarian was like, well, I'm out of rages. And... Uh, they were, I don't know. They were just like pushed the, I think they ran into a, a, a witch that melted and turned into a gelatinous cube. Cause I always like using gelatinous cubes when I can. And so the cube was trying to suck people up and, and attack them. Um, but that could be fun to try and run on Halloween. Like maybe I could just take that little adventure and, and gather some players and we could run that again now that I've given half of it away, but, or I could yeah. make something new, but but well, you love your slimes and oozes. I do You're love slimes and, slimes and oozes. And then I've been reading Mutant Crawl Classics, which has been really awesome. Um, uh, oh, the one thing I wanted to talk about with the game is I have a habit of creating what I think are interesting encounters, but not necessarily an interesting story that has woven those encounters together. Um, I usually have good well not usually i shouldn't say usually um i do have good players that try to like weave stories or or what i'm presenting to them they try to like you know fit that square block in a round hole in a way they're just like well jordan's giving us this and they connect the dots and they say well it must mean that there's a greater story of this in the background and my players are doing a really good job with that in the inverted pyramid where i really did just create a mega dungeon with like looney tune rooms like just gonzo situations for them but they took that and uh, got into like, oh, well, I think that he's doing this because they're actually summoning slaves from extra planar worlds. Like, is this guy, is he a planeswalker? Is he able to like jump to different planes? And so they're kind of defining this, this boss for me as we're going through this dungeon, which I really, really love. And I tried a similar effect with uh, the Hot Springs Island game with the Halloween game, but it's such a short one shot that I really should have created some kind of narrative that connects the two as opposed to like allowing my players to try and connect everything. Cause right now they're just lost and confused. They're like, why does this place even exist in the, in the, like we, they've never run into a village like this, let alone a village full of like monsters and things like that. And they know it's a Halloween game, but um, I don't know. I was wondering, how do you handle that? Do you, do you have like a thread of, of story or do you kind of leave it up to your players more often than not? How do you prep a game Lucian? (laughs) let's just jump right into it Um, (laughs) i've tried both recently and when i did the pre-west marches game that was the one where i didn't have an overarching storyline but i had some things that were in the world and i waited to see what the characters bumped into before i decided trying to flesh any of it out yeah so um, there was like five or six things that I thought were in this world now doing different things. And that was as far as I went. And they happened to bump into like a druid, an evil druid. And so from there, because of the way um, they were doing things, it really drove that storyline, especially when the uh, fighter wanted to subclass into cleric. 
and he was looking for like a god and then that kind of but that kind of like coalesced into this fight between the old gods and the new gods and the last of the old gods in this land fighting this druid. And then the storyline just hit me in the head was like, maybe it's this druid that's gotten rid of all these gods because it thinks the gods are what breaks the balance. Right. And he's, he's, he does it evilly. Like he crushes temples and he uses all these creatures and things that he has control of to get rid of gods because they're the problem in this world. And then, so then I had this character who wanted to be a cleric and needed a god, so I gave him one of the old, and it just, it all fit in. It wasn't stuff that was planned, but because the players were pushing it, and we were diving into their backstories here and there, and that was driving the storyline, and they loved it. But I've also done, like, just straight on, the story is already kind of written, like Storm yeah. King's Thunder, straight, this is, this is what's going on, this is what the players are interacting with, this is the next phase that's going to happen, um, they get to decide what they want to do, but these are the things that are going to happen. And I think both are valid just depending on what's going on. And for me, more fun was the random, the let it happen, or at least build it as you go, mm -hmm. as the things are happening. Don't try to overthink it too much in the beginning. Um, that felt more fun to me as my style of Dungeons and Dragons um, as a DM. Um, I know I have players, though, that when they played that, they enjoyed the Storm King's Thunder more because it felt like it was a more coherent thing, and they felt like, okay, we're on a quest, and I know we need to go do something else. Let's go do this, and let's go to this step and this step. They actually liked the idea that they knew there was something that was going on, whereas the other one, you might get into those little spots where you're like, ah, what are we supposed to do next until the next thread hits them or the next thing makes the connection or there's little spots of area where it didn't connect or there wasn't. And every now and then they would keep asking me, is there, I'm trying to save my stuff for the, whatever the big bad story arc is going to be. And I kept telling them it's not, it's just a world. I'm building a world. And I saw an article that um, got called out earlier this week that was talking about don't build storylines, build experiences. And I thought that was an interesting take on building your campaign or building or, or prepping what you're going to play. The idea that you're not doing a storyline because that's where when they don't do the thing you need them to do, your storyline gets off rails, I guess, mm -hmm. at that point. And then you're like, you're kind of like, oh, I didn't expect them to do that. They're going, I thought they were going to the village, but now they're going back. And I didn't, I didn't even think about that. I thought they were, this was the next part. They need to go talk to the mayor. Right, because I'd already had this storyline of what was going on. Their story had already been kind of mapped out in, in most ways. Whereas the idea of uh, building experiences or building um, scenarios or, or, or almost like a simulation, it's the idea of, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I can tell you this, they, there's a town that's just north of them that they're already headed to, and that town is overrun by zombies. I don't know how or why yet, we don't know what's going to happen, but we're just going to let it run. And so it's talking about building these things and then connecting them versus trying to build that storyline first. And so I think I'm leaning in my own Dungeons & Dragons GM, DM version of making it up as we go based on the actions and the things they're doing and then tying those things together, like you said, making those threads tie together mm -hmm. with creative thought after the fact. Like you're like, if um, in that one you're saying they're trying to figure out why there would be a funhouse thing going on here, right? And I liked where they went with it. I like this idea of are, is he 
teleporting things in is yeah. maybe his experimentation is going on. Maybe he's building an army. Maybe he just likes to collect things. He's a collector. Maybe, you know, there's a whole bunch of routes. And then when you get that little nugget, now you can really weave that story and you can say, yes, this is Narkar, the wicked who loves to collect species one at a time. And he loves to have one or two of every single species he can find. And he somehow has opened up portals to even other worlds we've never even heard mm -hmm. of and brought things back. And so that could really build a cool storyline that fits in their main overall storyline, which is they want to get home because they're stranded in a strange land. So I think that's pretty cool. I think that's the route I'm going for in most of my, like Seeking Revenar is, is that. Seeking Revenar is a big map on a, on a grid map, on a hex map. And there are points of things that I threw in there that said, if you bump into this, this is what's happening. But there is no over, you know, there is no Lord of the Rings storyline going on. There is, you know, Gandalf is not going to gather the dwarves and the hobbits to get to the ring and then take the ring to, to Mordor. And that's going to be the end of the campaign. That's, that's not what I'm running. I'm running more of a fluid. The world is there and however the players interact with it, that's what's, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. I think, uh, those are awesome points. Um, also I was just thinking while you were talking, like the problem that I think I'm having mostly with my Halloween game is that I didn't create motivation. And so my players are exploring it because they're curious, uh, but not necessarily because there's a reason to other than curiosity where, and then I had the same problem in my main campaign with the inverted pyramid is that those guys, their, their motivation is they're trying to get home, but they don't really know how. So they're like pulling at all these different strings. Like, Oh, I just hit my mic. Sorry. Um, they're pulling at all these different strings about how, do I get home? Like, what is the best way to the point where I'm like, Hey guys, I made this entire like funhouse dungeon inverted pyramid for you to explore. And they were counting their coins being like, well, how much is it to buy a ship home? Like how, how could, could we buy a boat and just sail home? And like Jordan panicking, like, uh, didn't, didn't plan for that, but that was where their motivation was lying. And so I needed to, to motivate them to, there is a way to get home and it's involved in the pyramid, you know? And luckily they've, they've kind of been filling that in themselves where they're like, oh, if there's like planner travel within this pyramid, maybe we can find a portal home kind of a thing. So it's been working in my favor, but the one shot Halloween thing I'm realizing, I'm like, that's something that I, I struggle with as a dungeon master is I can make really interesting encounters, but I have to give you guys a motivation to be there somehow. Um, and so, I don't know, luckily for all of Hot Springs Island, their motivation is greed because they want to gather money to get rid of their debt to the Martell company. And so they, the urge to explore is high because they want to explore to gather more money to find that you know treasure trove of gold to hopefully alleviate their debt to the Martell company. So Yeah, yeah. I think if I was running Hot Springs Island too, and I say this, I don't know if I'd actually do it, but I would be thinking this is what I'd want to do, is that once every three or four game sessions, I would sit down and write a letter from the family back home to them that's talking about, oh, we just lost the house or this oh, landlord yeah. has given us trouble. Like totally write it out so that it just drives them into crap we got to get more money yeah this is this is i gotta get home i gotta get home but you're right i think if we forget their motivations we sometimes as gms dms want to create really cool experiences or hey we could do this cave of doom or we could do this waterborne adventure or we could do this and that 
And we forget that the players have their idea of either I want to get more powerful so I can get to my new abilities. I want to get rich so I can buy some cool stuff. I want to get magic items so I have cool magic items. Or I have some other actual mode. Like I need to find my lost brother. I need to yeah. you know, get home. I need to help these people or whatever. And sometimes if we forget that, you're right. I think we can we can get off a little bit. And we're not meshing with our... Um, our goals. And then if that happens, it feels like maybe something's not working right. And I've done it too, where my group wants to do one thing, but I'm trying to, I'm like, Oh, but this is going to be a cool kind of thing. Yeah. And sometimes like, I even think like as a, we love setting up one shots because we love building these cool little things. Like what would happen if Stephen King's the fog hit a town and your characters were in it? Let's run that. What if everything was really large and you guys were really small? What if, you woke up and you were all little toys in a in a in a giant child's room. Now you have to get out. All that stuff sounds really super fun and cool to us, but to the players, they want a nice, long, consistent campaign with the storyline and a background story to their character and something that's relevant to their character more than these experiences we keep throwing at them. So I have to temper myself all the time to say, all right, keep them in mind, keep you know, don't <laughs> keep trying to give them what they want to, but get the stuff I want to do into, because that's why I'm doing it. I, I'm being a dungeon master because there are many things I want to do and I've got to find a way to work those into the games while keeping what they want to do in mind. And it's uh, something I always try to keep track of. Yay. <laughs> uh, a little bling bling. Fantastic. Um, and then I guess uh, we've got about 10 minutes left. Uh you're half you 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 listen to about half of Kids on Bikes um, that I made. Like, what did you think of it? I guess you haven't finished it yet, but I thought I'd ask you. Like, what did you think of Kids on Bikes or just the game in general? Yeah, I really like it. It's a style of game that I've been super interested in in the last year and a half, especially when I was doing Mass a, a New Generation, because that's very similar to you sit down with a session, you have everybody sitting around, they they pick an uh, an art type. And then we go around and we say, I love the, the, my favorite part is this part where you're like, you're picking people from the, the table and you're saying, all right, pick somebody else around this and say, is this a good relationship or a bad yeah. relationship? Do you know them or do you not know them? And they start building things and they, they started coming up with weird things. Like one kid's a bully yeah. and everybody was having these weird connections to certain people. And then some people weren't getting as many connections or whatever. And you're, you're waiting to see if that was going to happen. And then you're also on edge a little bit because you don't know where your players are going to take it. Like you can say somebody's a bully, but is somebody going to come out with like a very graphic idea of all what this bully did? Or yeah. are they going to, you know, come at it from kids gloves or at least this is still just a fun game. We're not here to we're not necessarily here to get deep unless that's the type of game you want. And I know people do play that style of game. Like if you're going to play a vampire, the masquerades it's not all just comedy and fun and, mm. and pop culture jokes. It's, it can be, they sometimes want deep and dark intrigue, or they sometimes want to, I, I ran a game called the undying at Gen Con. And that's about running more of a very evil vampire kind of character in a town that doesn't know about vampires yet. And it's meant to be more serious. It's meant to be more horror and Gothic. It's not meant to be funny. 
right? Mm -hmm. So it was a very different way to play a game for me because that's not me for the most part. I don't play those kinds of games. And so it was, it was different. But Kids on Bikes was very similar to that. And it reminded me of the Tales from the Loop, which I love. Yeah. I need to read that. I should buy that PDF and like, yeah. yeah buy the book. The or buy the book. I mean, in it by that, uh, by that artist is fantastic. I love every single picture they draw of those old Volvos and that old Swedish landscape of the 1980s and mm. then some type of robotic something or something weird Tyrannosaurus Rex with lasers or something just crazy in what looks like an idyllic small 1980s town of some sort. And just the way he uses the color, it just drives me in there. And, and Kids on Bikes is very much that because you can, Kids on Bikes is like what I would use if I'm going to run the E.T. storyline. Yeah. Right? The, I'm going to run um, the, what was the one that um, Spielsberg did recently where the train crashed as the kids were just Super outside eight? of town and there was something. Yeah, Super 8. Yeah. You know, that's that's the kind of thing I would want to run with that because it's that cool, gritty Goonies, but maybe a little darker Goonies. Like if I want to go lighter, more fun, hard, fun Goonies, then I might go Tales from the Loop. Mm -hmm. But if I want to get a little on edge with it, I want to get a little to the darker side if I want a little bit, the rules let me do it. I'm going to go Kids on Bikes for that. And that's the thing. Kids on Bikes is Stranger Things, right? The kids Very much so, on yeah. bikes from the beginning of the show. You can't get any more on point than that than kids riding around on BMX bikes all over the place. So yeah. I just love it. Yeah, I gosh, we had so much fun with it, and it's it's exciting to have it like out in the world, um, so people can can experience it. And there's not a lot of uh, podcasts for kids on bikes, so it's kind of exciting to have it be like maybe it's a go to for people to like learn the game. But but that you, you spoke about the relationships, and that's what I love about it is. Uh, we came in knowing nothing like my players knew nothing of the system. I barely knew how to, I mean, I had read the book a couple times, but like I had never ran a system like this before and just casually going through the questions, we established the place that they live in the, like how weird the house is and all of their relationships with each other. And my players got really into it. They're like, you know, I'm a bully, but like, I actually look up to uh, T funk or whatever his name was. Terry, Terry um, and, <laughs> and so he like, I looked up to him. So like, I'm a bully, but it's because I'm like, I'm, I'm not, you know, I've got a rough home life and things like that. But like, really, I look up to him, but we've kind of had a falling out. And so people had created this like whole story before we even started, which was just exciting to have the world mapped out before you start playing. Um, and it reminds me of like television and you remember the first season of a show that you really enjoy like the first season of star trek the next generation was rough because none of the characters really knew where they fit and they didn't know their relationships yeah. with each other and it wasn't until after that first season that it really got good because they were able to be like now you know the doctor and captain picard have a have a better relationship and we kind of understand their relationship um Kids on Bikes does that in the first setting. Like you guys create all of those cool relationships and you have that history before you start playing, which is just really fun and exciting. So, yeah. And yeah, our Tales from the Loops game, I, I totally went and created me as a 14-year-old in that game. And it was interesting for me to think back, oh my God, this is what, this is what I was like as this kid. I'm playing me as a 14 year old like, <laughs> it brought like emotion back because there was things in there like it would say like um when it talked about your parents and like 
something good and something bad and you're like oh you know how far or how much do i go in i we had some you know rough times as a kid we had some you know parents divorce stuff kind of happen and that kind of threw a wrench in things and i had some brothers and sisters and and we had falling outs or things that happened and um we, it just all this stuff comes up because in that type of game you're you're pulling on your experiences whether they're your own or they're somebody you knew or a family mm -hmm. member and you how you're crafting your character and it gets a little attached and more emotional than when i sat down and i created my you know first level barbarian for dungeons and dragons like that's like that's like creating a superhero in a story and that's cool there's not a lot of connection to me in that character but when i sat down and created a 14 year old kid who was kind of like the computer geek and liked to play role-playing games and in his backpack carried around the player's handbook and that, you know, that's a huge connection, <laughs> real connection. So you can get some emotions going. And when we were talking about it as players, as me, PB, Nomadic, and Anarasis, there was real emotions that could get drawn up when we start talking about, you know, one kid had a bad childhood or, you know, somebody's parent had died and that was a real thing for, you know, whatever. And it was just like, you can get pretty heavy in that. So it's interesting to use those games to explore that stuff that's still inside of us that that's still emotional about it and tie it back in, but it's still a fun game. It's still this cool rolling dice and hanging out with friends and, and laughing about whatever joke inside joke that your group has is usually what most people do. You don't necessarily get it if you're playing convention games or you're, you're doing these games where you're playing with a lot of people you've never met. But when you're playing with friends at a table, it's always, the banter that's going around the side talk is always about, do you remember when we did this? Or you remember when we threw those rocks and we broke that window and that guy chased us down the thing. And that's happening while we're playing the game. And I think that's where that big connection comes from for this, where we, we make those bonds with the people we play with. We, we mm -hmm. become, there's a relationship that's being built and there's strong ties being built with those people that we, sit around and roll dice with and create stories with and stuff. So I think it's super fun and it's different. It's not, we don't get that same thing everywhere else, but we get it when we play these games. Yeah. I think it was uh, Jim Davis in one of the web DM videos that he was talking about like his history of RPGs. And he said, you know, I, I got to a point where I was playing RPGs and then I was dungeon mastering. And then for a while, role-playing games became high art. And it was just like, you don't understand all of this stuff. And I think uh, there's a certain truth to that. And, and he went through a phase where RPGs were high art and all this other stuff. But the way you talk, it is kind of this like really cool experience that's hard to explain to other people unless they sit down and actually play it. Um, and it reminds me a lot of some of the theater, I want to say theater games, but they weren't really games, but like theater exercises that I would do in college and, and how I'm like, you don't really understand unless you dive in and try to actually like mess with these characters and improv your way through these scenes and stuff, because it can be a really cathartic experience and role-playing games fit that niche for me as well. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, putting yourself in somebody other, uh, somebody else's shoes, that's the thing that they always talk to you about, right? That's how you mm -hmm. have empathy for others. Or you, you try to understand where somebody else is coming from. Well, what are role-playing games? Role-playing games are, I have a piece of paper, which are my shoes and all my stats are me stepping into those shoes yeah. and trying to play them. And then trying to figure out what is motivation? What, what, it, what decisions would they make given these circumstances? What is their mentality? What are the, what are their life experiences have shaped them 
to be the way they are? Why are they so hard or why are they so happy or why are they a little insane? Why every now and then do they throw themselves in battle, maybe hoping to die? What has happened to them that's had that? And you can explore those things even if you haven't had that happen in your own life, you can explore those different things. Or sometimes we'll sneak in things that are from our lives and we want to re-explore them and go back through them. Things that we buried or didn't think about. And we want to say, let's let's go back around and, and touch on that. Like, like I said in that one, like, cause when they first said he's the bully, I thought, oh, you could go in a crazy route and you're trying to, you know, have a fun game. But what if it, what if it doesn't turn fun all of a sudden? It kind of gets a little weird. Yeah. But they didn't. They explored it in such a way that it made sense. Like there, there, it was the style of bully that had the reasons behind it. And it looked like it would be a storyline where there would be redemption at the end, right? This, it was already on the road of changing. Like it wasn't going to continue to be the bully, wasn't going to continue to be that person. But in that person making the character art was already thinking about the turnaround for that. And I thought that was a great way to explore that. Yeah, it's really awesome. Sorry, guys, we had another hiccup. Uh, we lost connection oh, for a second uh, during Lucian's awesome speech. So be sure to check that out on the YouTube, YouTube. channel on Monday. Uh, and with that, I think we'll close it out. Thank you guys so much for coming out for the Saturday morning D&D show. We love having you live. Uh, thank you for commenting and watching on YouTube. And thank you for sharing these episodes with your friends, your uh, tabletop gaming group. Um, it's really awesome. If you do listen to us on podcast format, consider giving us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps the show get out there and become searchable and, and people can find it. And we think we have a great show. And if you think we have a great show, then go ahead and give us a review. That would be awesome. Uh, thank you again. Any final thoughts, Mr. Lucian? Uh, nope. I'm sad that the Twitch is having trouble this week, but go watch it on YouTube because you'll get the whole thing, which is super cool. And we definitely could use a lot more people checking out over there and get in the comments and talk to us about what you were thinking because you guys do really good stuff in the chat here. It'd be great to get some of those good conversations happening over in those comments and talking about these things that we're bringing up uh, in our games. And because a ton of you are dungeon masters, and you're in there and you could be sharing your knowledge too, like Indoor Adventure and Skull Dixon and all of those guys. So that'd be great. Hope to see you in the next one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think we'll get a raid going if Lucian yeah. is interested in that. Um, and so we'll, we'll kind of wait for that. But as for that, guys, I want to say thank you again so much for coming out. Uh, go play some games and happy Halloween. Spooky. Yeah. Spooky. We're looking for somebody that's doing something right now. Anybody got good suggestion out there? Anybody got a good person to go raid? Indoor looking. said pro restarter. I don't know if that's pro somebody. restarter is up. I was looking. I didn't see that. Oh, I see the Greyhawk channel. Just a lot of them are just starting their stream soon is what I'm seeing. So they haven't quite got going yet. Is pro restarter up? Yeah, they've got a starting soon screen. All right, but. let's throw it over there. Let's go raid them. All right, guys. Thank you so much. And we will see you uh, next week with another episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show in November. Our intro and outro music is 8-Bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.